You know, all this month, we've been declaring what that song just said, that, that he's here, that Christ has come, that he's among us. And so today, we're going we're gonna to open up the word one more time, and we're going to look at how God has revealed himself uh, to our lives and how he wants to reveal himself to our lives today. Throughout this whole month of December, the Advent season, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, we've been uh, taking our text and our themes from the Advent wreath. And so the first week that we lit the candles, the first candle to be lit was the candle of hope. And we'll light it again today on this fourth Sunday. Hope says to us that it's going to get better, that there's something better in your future. And can I just speak that word of hope over you? I know there's a lot of people that maybe you've looked at 2018, and you're just going, Lord, I just can't wait for this year to be over. You don't have to elbow anybody too hard in that moment. I just know you're out there. Come on, how many would be honest, and, and you just say, boy, it's been a tough year. Got some curveballs thrown, some things I didn't expect this year. I've talked to a lot of people this week that have been in that very same situation, but hope says it's going to get better. We can have a bright outlook because Jesus came to give us hope. And then the next week, we, we lit the candle of love. And if there's any message that we ought to understand out of God sending his son to be the savior of the world, it's a message of love. John 3.16 tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loved us so much that he gave to us his son. That's the message of love at Christmas. And then last Sunday, we lit this pink candle because the pink or the rose candle represents joy. And the idea is that we are so close now to the coming of Jesus that the anticipation has turned into maybe a premature celebration. It's time to go ahead and light the candles, hang up the streamers, much like our kids did upstairs here at their Christmas party today, because he is here. I mean, we're just two days away from celebrating Jesus' birth. And so we lit the joy candle. And today, we'll light one more candle, and that is the candle of peace. I want to talk to you today about the peace that we can have because of Christ's coming. But it's not peace by the definition that our world understands it. I mean, every culture in our world today understands peace on some level. We have, uh, we have peace treaties and and we have uh, peace talks, and we have peacekeepers. But the biblical word for peace, the Hebrew word is shalom. So the word shalom has a deeper meaning to it. It's not just the absence of conflict. Shalom actually includes or implies the presence of something better in its place. So it's not just the absence of conflict, it's something better in its place. There's some word pictures that we get out of this Hebrew word for shalom. One of the pictures is is of a perfect stone. As they were uh, shaping and hewing out the stones to build the temple, they would have a perfect stone that had no, no cracks or no blemishes. It was shalom. Another idea that we get from this word is, is a wall that was built around a city. If that wall didn't have any, any weak points or any breaks or any holes where the enemy could access the wall, that, that wall had shalom. It was, it was solid. Shalom means nothing missing and nothing broken. Could we all just say that short definition together? Nothing missing, nothing broken. Shalom is, is both reconciling and restoring. If a person's animal, and you can read about this in Exodus, if a person's animal has crossed over a boundary line and destroyed someone's property, the person that uh, owned the animal would then go and they would pay for it. They would make a restitution. They would restore the damaged property. And what they were doing is they were bringing shalom to that relationship If there were two countries that were at war with each other and they formed a a peace alliance, it didn't just mean that they stopped fighting with each other. It meant that they would actually begin to work to profit one another. It was shalom. When there was a relationship that was broken, to have that relationship reconciled and healed, 
didn't just mean they stopped fighting. It, mean they, it meant they came back together. It was shalom. And, and this Advent season is a time when we anticipate, when we hope for the very thing that the prophet Isaiah spoke about 700 years before Jesus was born. Isaiah 9, 6, and many of you are familiar with this passage, but the prophet said these words. He said, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. That statement speaks of Jesus' humanity. A child is born, but it also speaks of his deity. A son has been given. And then he says the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's what we anticipate at Advent. The Prince of Peace coming and ruling and reigning over our hearts and over our lives. Moving forward 700 years, it's now six months before Jesus is to be born. And Mary, his mother, finds out that her cousin Elizabeth is also expecting a child. Well, the Bible tells us a story about that child's father. His name was Zechariah. He was a priest. And he had gone into the temple to perform his priestly duties. And just like Mary had an angel visit her and tell her she was with child, an angel came and visited Zechariah, the priest, in the temple of the Lord and said, your wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a child. Even though she's uh, older in years, it's, it's going to be from God, and your son is going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. And, and the Bible says in that moment, rather than bowing down like Mary did and saying, I'm the Lord's servant, let it be to me as you have said, instead, Zechariah doubted. I know none of you would ever do that, but believe it or not, some believers don't always believe. And it's unbelievable, but... <laughs> It's true. He doubted God's word. And so the angel, I don't know if God told him to do this or if he just got kind of hacked off, <laughs> but he said, that's it. You're not going to speak until the baby's born. And so for nine months, Zachariah couldn't speak until finally the day came that Elizabeth gave birth to their son. And all the, the people there wanted to name him Zachariah after his father, but, but Zachariah motions. And so they give him a tablet. What do, you, what do you want to say? And he writes on the tablet, his name is John. And in that moment, he declared what the angel had told him was going to happen. His mouth was open. And so the prophet or the, the priest, Zechariah, begins to prophesy in Luke chapter 1. He begins to prophesy not just about his son and what he will do, but he begins to prophesy about Jesus who is coming after him. God is speaking again at this moment in human history, and he begins to describe Jesus. He says in Luke 1, he calls Jesus the rising sun. He says the rising sun will come from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. I want you to grab a hold of that last phrase because that is my prayer for you today that God would guide your feet into the path of peace, a, a path where nothing is missing and nothing is broken. And so today we light this peace candle, and I want you to pray with me as we get into this word today. Father, thank you so much that light has come, that peace can be ours through Jesus, our Lord and Savior. So God, I pray today that every heart, every mind would be open, every ear would be open to receive the word that you want to give us today. Lord, let your anointing rest upon me as I speak it, in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 All right, get your Bibles out with me to the Gospel of Luke. This is where we were at last week, but I want to go right back there again. We're going to read a little farther today than we did last Sunday. Luke chapter 2. This is the moment in the story where we sang about it at the beginning of this service. The angel came to the shepherds who were out in the fields. They made their uh, pronouncement. Look at it with me in verse 10 of Luke 2. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. 
This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. We looked at that last week, but I want to read a little farther today. Look at verse 13 with me. It says, suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, so there's one angel, he's giving them this message. I'm going to give you good news of great joy for all the people. And then suddenly something happened. And can I just pause here? And This isn't really the message today, but I felt like somebody needed to hear it. God does suddenly moments. I don't know what what you need from God this this Christmas. Maybe it's the thing you've been praying for all year and it hasn't happened. Don't lose hope. God is still a suddenly God. And this is one of those suddenly moments where, I mean, it's it's enough to have a message from an angel. I mean, a, a personal messenger from heaven comes down, but suddenly the sky is filled with a heavenly host of angels all around. Look at verse 14. They began to sing this song. In fact, could we, could we just read this statement off the screen together? Verse 14 says, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, if you've read the Bible before, or, or even if you haven't, you're probably familiar with that verse. Maybe you read it on a Christmas card. <laughs> That's a popular verse at Christmas time. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace on whom his favor rests. I heard that verse every year probably for all of my life. But a lot of us, we're familiar with the older translation of that verse. The, The King James Version says it like this. Listen to the difference. It says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Now, let me just say, that's, that sounds great. I mean, that's, that sounds like a great verse. And, and the problem with that verse or with that translation is sometimes it leads to a misunderstanding of what the angels were de- declaring. Sometimes we can misunderstand and misconstrue the message of who this peace is for, who this peace uh, is for and, and who this favor is going to rest on because some translations just say glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. But that's not really what the original text expresses. I want to read it again out of our translation today. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Can I just tell you today that the peace of God is for the people who have the pleasure of God. The Bible says in Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So you you can't find the pleasure of God unless you express faith. And his peace is on those whom his favor rests. Now listen, you can ask any beauty pageant contestant and they will tell you the thing that we should all want is world peace, right? I mean, that's always the answer they give. You know, if you had one wish, what would it be? World peace. Like, that just sounds great. It's, it's, it's an easy answer. No one's going to argue with that answer. And so the danger for us is that we would, we would lean into that and go, that sounds great. And we would start to believe that maybe that's why Jesus was born in Bethlehem, to bring world peace. That Jesus came and, and he was born in Bethlehem's manger so that we could all just experience this, this world peace. And I tell you, that, that's not... That's not why he came, and you shouldn't be surprised to discover that that's not what we've experienced. Have you? I I certainly haven't. I haven't experienced world peace, and and in fact, there's some people, and maybe you're even here today listening to this message, and and you've kind of pushed back from the the Bible and from Christianity, and and the reason that you do, the reason that maybe you're just here out of obligation or or you're listening online, maybe for curiosity's sake, but you've distanced yourself from the gospel and from this faith is because it doesn't line up with your experience. See, what you thought was that Jesus came to bring peace on the earth, but what you've experienced is sickness and, and hatred and You've seen slavery and you've seen genocide in the news and and you've heard about diseases that are ravaging people's lives and you're saying, well, man, if Jesus came to bring peace 2,000 years ago, I don't think he did it right. 
I mean, you know, if I look at the, the, the situation that I see on the evening news, it would appear to me that, that your Messiah failed the mission. I want to challenge you today. Don't lose faith and don't quit on this message and on the gospel because it hasn't met expectations that you thought it had. Jesus did not come to bring peace to all when he was born in Bethlehem's manger. The truth is, and we all need to understand this today, Christmas never promised to bring peace to everyone. As much as we would love for that to be the message, and it would certainly be a popular one, that's not the reality. Our, our faith has to, has to go beyond that. We don't have peace in the world because the town square has a beautiful nativity scene with a cuddly baby in it, because we all decorate our house with lights, and because there's nice music playing in the mall. That's not the message of Christmas. In fact, the message of the word of God says that when it comes to our relationships and how they play out, Jesus even said some things that, that sound like a total contradiction of Christmas. In fact, I want you to go with me to the gospel of Matthew for a few moments because I want to share a verse with you. It's in Matthew chapter 10. And this verse sounds like a contradiction to Christmas. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Do not suppose, this is Jesus speaking, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. How many of you got a Christmas card with that verse on it <laughs> this week in the mail? No? Nobody? None. Okay. I didn't think so. It's not one of those verses that we really want to, you know, you're probably wondering, like, and why are we going here today? Like, it is the Sunday before Christmas. Well, I, I want to just ask you to look with me a little closer at this verse, because this is the Prince of Peace speaking. Isaiah wasn't wrong when he called him that. This is the same one, the same Jesus who said in John 14, my peace I give to you. The same one that Paul described when he said he is our peace. Same guy, same savior, same Messiah. So what is this verse all about when Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword? Well, first of all, you need to understand that the sword he's talking about is metaphorical, okay? He's not saying... I came to start wars. There's a lot of people that would try to, try to use God's word as a reason to attack other people. That, that's not what he's saying. It's metaphorical. It's kind of like in Hebrews 4.12, the Bible says the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Why? Because the word of God, it, it penetrates our hearts. It goes to the very core of who we are. Some of you have felt the, the, the piercing of the word of God. Maybe you'll feel it this morning before we leave this service. You're going to hear something from the word of God, and you're going to go, oh, yeah, that, that kind of hits me on a deeper level. Everything else is kind of coming here, but that word, it cuts. Why? Because the word is like a sword. I remember, and I still have this today, on my 12th birthday, my parents gave me a Bible, it was a, uh, a Burgundy Thompson Chain Reference Bible, King James Version. And when I opened that Bible, my dad had inscribed on the inside leaf a quote from the great D.L. Moody. And the quote said, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. What Dwight Moody meant in that statement was that you can't, you can't live according to the word of God and at the same time walk in willful disobedience to the word of God. Because the word of God is a sword. Because it's a point of, of division. It's like, the, it's like the knight who takes the, the tip of his sword and, and draws a line in the sand and tells you to choose sides. In that moment, you make up your mind. You're either for me or you're against me. But no one's straddling the line. And so the reality is that, that the word of God is a sword. And so when Jesus said in Matthew 10, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. What did he mean? Well, in this chapter, we're not going to read all the verses, but I'm going to take you through a few of them. In this chapter, Jesus has just 
told the apostles, those followers of Christ, that they were going to go out and they were going to preach the message that the kingdom of God is near. That's the message you're going to preach. The kingdom of God has come near. And then look with me at verse 12 to 14, Matthew 10. Jesus tells them this. He says, as you enter the home, they're going, they're going from town to town, village to village. He said, as you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it's not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. You know what Jesus is saying in this moment? He's saying the peace that I give, the peace that you have, it's, it's with you. It's not, you're not going somewhere to see if you can find peace or make peace. It's with you. So when you go to a house, when you go to a place, take that peace with you. If they receive you, great. If they don't, take your peace with you. In other words, Jesus is saying, the peace that I give you, the world didn't give it, and the world can't take it away. So if you're in a situation and there, there can be no peace, the Bible says live peaceably with all men as much as is possible. Sometimes it's just not possible. Jesus says if that's the case, you take your peace with you. Don't, don't lose your peace because of the way other people act or the way other people respond. You brought it with you, take it with you. And then he told them some things. He, he didn't sugarcoat it. He said, look, this is what's going to happen. I'm sending you out to preach this message. Take your peace with you. But listen, you're going to be arrested sometimes. You're going to be beaten sometimes. He told them flat out, Matthew 10, you're going to be flogged. Like flogged is in the way that they whipped Jesus before he was nailed to a cross. You're going to be flogged. You're going to be imprisoned. You're going to be brought on trial. But don't worry about what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say in that moment. So he tells them all these things are going to happen to them. But then in the middle of all that, down in about verse 24, in the middle of all that, he turns a corner and he does something incredible. Jesus begins to encourage them. He begins to build them up. He says to them, don't be afraid. In fact, he says it twice. He says, don't be afraid. And then he tells them this, and we've often heard these words, but maybe you didn't know where they came from or what the context of the conversation was. Jesus says to his followers, he says, two sparrows are sold for a penny, yet none of them fall to the ground outside of your father's care. You are worth more than many sparrows. So he said, even an insignificant, inexpensive bird doesn't die without me seeing it. You're worth so much more than that. And then he goes on after that, and he says, even the hairs on your head are numbered. That's how much the Lord cares for you. And, and we hear that verse, and, and that sounds great that God cares about me. He loves me so much that he's even numbered the hairs of my head. Not that he counted them. He numbered them. He knows which numbers are in the drain right now at the house. He numbered them. He cares for me. And that comforts us. But understand the context. Jesus is saying, you're going to be beaten. You're going to be flogged. You're going to be imprisoned. And so the, the picture for them is while you're in chains and while you're in shackles and, and while your hair is matted together with your own blood, just know that God has numbered your hairs, that he cares about you so much, that he loves you, that his peace can still be yours in that situation. And it's right after he encourages them with these incredible words that he gets to this statement that we've already read. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. He wants them to know something, and we need to know this today. We need to get this. The peace that Jesus offers is only peace to those that receive it. It's only peace for those that will receive it. And in fact, for those that don't receive it, it may cause division. In the next couple of verses, right after that, verse 35 and 36, Jesus reaches back in, into the Old Testament, which was the Jewish scriptures, and he quotes the prophet Micah from Micah chapter 7. These, these are Micah's words Jesus says after he said, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. He says, for I have come, verse 35, to turn a man against his father, 
a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Now understand this about that verse. Jesus is not saying that, that a Christian should turn against their family. He's not saying that anyone should turn, but he's not saying that the Christians do it. it the Bible says that it, we're to be peacemakers. Five chapters before this, in the Beatitudes, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called the children of God. So he's not, he's not saying, hey, it's okay for you to hate your mother-in-law or, you know, he's not saying that's okay. He's saying this is going to be the reality. As you go out and you preach this gospel, the reality is sons will turn against their fathers, daughters against their mothers. In-laws will fight with one another. This is gonna be the reality. And think about it. Some of you have experienced this in your own life with people you love. I mean, when you get saved, all of a sudden, it's like the lights come on for the first time in your life, and, and you understand, you can see clearly for the first time ever, maybe, why the angel said, behold, I bring you good news, because this is the best news you've ever heard. I mean, you've been translated at a moment of salvation out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The Bible says that old things have become new. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And when you got saved, you got excited about it, and your life was changed, and so you wanted to tell people about it. And you really wanted to tell the people that you loved. And you really, really wanted to tell the people that you loved that have never experienced this salvation. Right? But have you ever had a moment where you were telling people about something, but they weren't hearing what you were saying? So you're over here saying, listen, I got saved. I was, I was lost. But then I went to church, and I heard about Jesus, and I got saved. But what they heard was... Okay, well, I don't go to church, and I don't follow Jesus, so I'm not saved. And you're saying, but listen, man, I, I, was, I was filthy. I, I, was, I, I was full of sin, but Jesus cleansed me. Now I'm clean, and the Bible says I've been born again. I'm a new creation. And they're hearing, okay, so, so I'm dirty? You're new? I'm old? What do you, what do you say? And you're so excited, you're saying, listen, because I put my faith in Jesus, I have a home in heaven. One day, I'm going to be with Jesus. And what they hear is, oh, so because you have Jesus, you go to heaven. What are you, what are you saying about me? So I'm, I'm, I'm going to hell? Is that what you're telling me today? I'm going to hell? And the sword cuts deep. Many of you have experienced that, that pain that, that rift in a relationship because you put your faith in Jesus and, and you felt that distance. People don't, don't treat you the same way they used to treat you. And, and you love them and they say they love you, but there's something different about the relationship. Would you just think for a moment about the first century Christians? I mean, those that the Bible describes for us that were persecuted, those that were arrested for their faith, they, they were beaten, they were put on trial, they were run out of towns, not just any town. They were run out of the towns they lived in. They were run out of the towns where they had their businesses. They were run out of the towns where their family was. You think that caused some hostility in the relationships? I mean, you, you, think, you think the next family reunion felt like the last one after somebody has identified as a follower of Jesus and been run out of town by their neighbors and family members? The sword cuts deep. Or maybe you're here today and you're on the other end of it. You're here because it's Christmas and maybe it's the right thing to do or you're here out of obligation or maybe you're curious and, and you're just going, okay, just tell, tell me what this whole thing is about because, you know, everybody's celebrating Christmas and, and I want to know a little more. But maybe the reality for you is that, that other people have told you, you need to be saved. You, you need to be made new. You need to let Jesus cleanse you. And however they said it, what you heard was, so you're better than me? And the feeling that you got is so all, all these people are judging me today. Like, you're all judging me. You think you're better than I am because you've, you've got Jesus and, and I'm just lost. I don't know. And maybe you feel like, I, I'm not lost. I've got things together. I, I want you to understand today because I don't know where you stand or what side of the line you're on. But here's something every one of us need to understand today, and that's this. Christmas 
is an indictment before it becomes a delight. It's an indictment. That's why when the angel made that announcement to those shepherds, here's the words he said. We read it earlier. Luke 2, 11. He said, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. You know what he was saying? You need to be saved. That's the indictment of Christmas. You need to be saved. You need to be saved. You need to be saved. I need to be saved. You need a savior. And that's why before he said that, verse 10, the angel said, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. You know why it's for all the people? Because all the people need to be saved. That's the first message of Christmas. You're lost. You need a savior. And that's why he sent Jesus. Christmas is heaven's response to the condition of our souls. Jesus wasn't born in Bethlehem's manger to bring peace on the earth. In fact, he promised there won't be peace with everyone else just because you follow him. Don't don't think that just because I make a decision to follow Jesus that that all of a sudden everything's going to work out, everything's going to be great. But this same Jesus did promise, John 14, 27, my peace I give to you. I leave my peace with you. I don't don't give my peace the way the world gives. So don't let your heart be troubled any longer. Don't be afraid. That's the promise of Jesus. But you need to understand who that promise is for. He was talking to his disciples when he said it. He was talking to those that would follow him. And I want you to know that promise is still available to those that would follow him today. The, The song that the angels Sang still rings out today, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. That can be yours today. So the question is that I really want you to lean into with me today. In a world that doesn't have peace, and we can all acknowledge that, this is, this is not global peace that we're experiencing. And in relationships where there's conflict and, and strife and, and tension and stress. In the midst of all that, how do we, those that have chosen to follow, those that have chose to exercise faith, how do we maintain our peace? I was thinking about the song, Silent Night. We're going to actually sing it tomorrow night at 4.30 and at 6 o'clock in our Christmas Eve service. All the the, the members of this church and members from this community are going to come in here and we're all going to light candles and we're going to sing that song. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. It's a beautiful song. But when I think about that night that we're singing about, I got to be honest, I don't know if that song actually describes the atmosphere that was going on. I don't know that all was calm. I mean, can you imagine what it must have been like for a young teenage girl, a virgin no less, and she's got her young husband there as her only helper, and they're bringing a child into the world? I read a story or saw a story on the news recently that that reminded me of this scenario. In fact, my wife sent it to me because the story was about a former student of mine. Uh, John Fink was one of our high school students in our youth ministry several years ago. He's, he's a, a married man now and had a child already, but just a few weeks ago, his wife was expecting their second child. And he jumps in the car. They live up in Mount Wolf. He jumps in the car. He's trying to get to Women's and Babies Hospital in Lancaster. And All of a sudden, his wife says, I feel the head. She's coming. Something you don't want to hear driving down the road. And so John pulled the car over. He said, I was like 800 feet from getting on Route 30. He just pulled off on the exit. And right there in the front seat of their Kia Soul, she gave birth to their daughter. 
One of our Wrightsville uh, firemen, our ambulance came and delivered them to the hospital. But Susan Shapiro interviewed John, and she asked him about the experience. And I can promise you, he did not say, all was calm, <laughs> all was bright. Right? No, it was, it was chaos. It was exciting. It was scary. It was thrilling. It was crazy. And I have a feeling that that's probably the way that Mary and Joseph might describe that night if we were to ask them for a first-person account. But yet, as we think about the lyrics of that song, it goes on and it says, round young virgin, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace. Now, again, I don't know if anybody got any sleep that night. Probably not accurate. But what is accurate is that every one of us want to experience that. We want Jesus to show up, and then we want to experience heavenly peace. And that's the part that we lean into, that we long for. There's something about the idea that Jesus can come, and all of a sudden, there's peace. And we're going to feel that tomorrow night as we sing that song together. And I want you to know today that that we can have that. We can have that kind of calm. All is calm. And so at the end of this message, I want to I give you four keys very quickly to help you to stay calm, to not lose the peace that can be yours in Christ. And I want to do it by using the word calm, C-A-L-M. You may want to write these down. The C stands for celebrate God. If you look with me in Philippians chapter 4, I want to read a verse that we looked at last Sunday, but it's out of this passage that we get a recipe for keeping our peace. Philippians chapter four, and beginning in verse four, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And last week, talking about joy, we said that rejoicing is a choice. You choose what you're going to do. David made a decision. He said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Rejoicing is a choice. And Paul, writing from a prison, says it's a choice you ought to make. In fact, he said it two times. You ought to rejoice. And again, rejoice. Paul was saying the reason for the rejoicing is not because of your circumstance. The reason for rejoicing is not because of what's going on around you or within you. The reason for rejoicing is found in the very next verse. Verse 5 says, the Lord is near. And if Christmas says anything to us, it tells us the Lord is near. So can I tell you today, you've got a reason to celebrate God. You might not have a reason to celebrate anything that's happening in your life, but God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if you don't have anything to rejoice in or to celebrate, celebrate God. Because the Lord is near. He says you ought to rejoice. I want to challenge you every day to just make this a part of your routine. I'm going to celebrate God every day. Every day. That's why when Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, he said, why don't you start by saying, our God, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, throw up some praise. You're holy. You're glorious. You live in splendor. Holy is your name. Celebrate God every day. That's the C. Now, the A is ask God for help. Look at verse 6. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, With thanksgiving, present your request to God. Ask God for help. Can I just tell you today, God doesn't need you to tell him what you need. How many of you know he already knows? He doesn't need you to tell him what you need, but you need to ask. He doesn't need you to ask, but you need to ask. Why? Because when you pray, when you ask God, what you're doing is you're expressing faith. That's what prayer is. You don't have to say a formula. Your prayers don't have to sound like my prayers or anybody else's. Prayer is just talking to God from your heart. But when you ask God for help, you're saying, God, I can't handle this, but I know you can. And so you're expressing faith in his ability. And the Bible says, we already said it earlier, Hebrews 11, 6, without faith, 
It's impossible to please God. And God's peace rests on those who find his favor. So faith aligns you with the favor of God, and the peace comes to those who have God's favor. You need to ask God for help. You need to posture yourself in a place of saying, God, I'm trusting you to meet my needs. I'm trusting you. John Piper said this. He said, the key that unlocks the treasure chest of God's peace is faith in the promises of God. Just putting your faith, that's what it means to ask God for help. Put faith in the promises of God. God, this is what your word says. I need your help, Lord. I'm trusting you with this. Paul said in Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. That's what it means to ask God for help, to say, God, I'm trusting in you. And it's as I trust in you that he's gonna fill you with joy and he's gonna fill you with the peace that you need. Now, let me give you the L. The L in calm stands for leave your cares. I wanna read verse six again. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, here's the key, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. When you pray, don't, don't, just, don't just ask God. Don't just say, God, I need your help. He said, when you come with your prayers and your petitions, come with thanksgiving. In other words, when you come to God, you're, the, Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary, and cast your cares upon me. So we can come and we can cast our cares, but here's what we do. We come and we pray and we ask God for help, and then we, we say amen, and then we go and we carry all of the worry that we just laid at the feet of Jesus. We pick it back up, and I didn't want to mess. I didn't want to leave that. I'm going to carry it with me. That's why the Bible says when you offer your prayers and petitions, do it with thanksgiving. See, thanksgiving is praise. Thanksgiving is, is an expression of gratitude for what God has done. You say, well, he hasn't done it yet. Well, thank him anyway, because what that does is it says, God, I'm laying this at your feet, and now I'm going to go ahead and thank you that you took it. I gave it to you. You received it. It's your problem now. It's not my problem. I'm going to go ahead and thank you. I'm going to give you praise because you're working for my good. Yes. That's what it means to, to leave your cares, to leave your cares. Say, I'm, I'm not going to carry this anymore. It's like the, the hitchhiker who was walking down the road carrying a big, heavy bag on his shoulders, and finally an old farmer pulls over in a pickup truck and motions for him to hop on takes off down the road, and after a while, he looks back in the mirror, and, and here's the hitchhiker sitting in the back of the truck, and he's still carrying the heavy sack. He's all hunched over, and the farmer yells back at him and says, hey, take a load off, to which the hitchhiker replies and says, well, you were so kind as to carry me down the road, I couldn't burden you to carry my sack, too. And that's the way we are sometimes when we come to God with our burdens and we lay it at his feet, but then we pick it back up and carry the load again. He's got you. He's got you. And so if you want to stay calm, don't just ask God for help, but leave your cares at the foot of the cross. Leave it with Jesus. And when we do those things, when we celebrate God, when we ask God for help, and when we leave our cares. We have this incredible promise in verse 7. Here's the promise. Look at it. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the, that's the hope that we can have. That's the promise that we can have, that God's peace that is supernatural and beyond our understanding can guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And the truth is, some of you, that's the reason you look forward to Sunday, because this is your pattern. Every weekend, you come to the house of God, and you celebrate God with the people of God, and then you ask God for help, and then you, you leave those burdens there. You say, God, I trust you with this. And so every weekend, you're calling on God. You call on God, and yet, for some reason, 
come Monday or maybe Tuesday, maybe on a good week, you make it as far as Thursday, but you start to lose that peace. You don't stay calm. And that's why this last part is really important. The M in calm means meditate on good things. Meditate on good things. Look with me at the next two verses. Verse eight says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And he goes on to say, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And here's the promise. If you'll do that, he says, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, now, let me just say, this is the hardest time, I believe, in human history for us to live out this command. And the reason I say that is because we have more access to bad news than ever before. We are constantly inundated with information that is not praiseworthy, not noble, not right, not pure, not true, not lovely, not excellent, not praiseworthy. It's constantly coming from all sides. And the news that travels the fastest is the worst news. And you can absolutely lose your peace if you don't learn to meditate on good things. Now, that word meditate is not the thoughts of Eastern mysticism that, that often it's associated with today. The word meditate just means to mull something over. It, the picture of the original language is a cow chewing its cud. And then some of you know the next part. <laughs> over and over. Yeah, and they just keep bringing it back up. And, and the Bible says that's how we're to be with the word of God. Now, listen, I mean, we got like a week and a half left here before the end of the year. And I know what that means. That means some of you really, really committed Christians, you're reading a lot of scripture right now. Because back in January, you started one of those read the Bible in the year plans. <laughs> And you're like 62 days behind. And so you're like, ah, oh, check the boxes and you're trying to read it all. And, you know, listen, let me just give you a little grace. Don't do that. God's not going to be upset with you if you don't check all the boxes by the end of the year. You know what's more important? You need a word from God. You need a word from God. And then you need to meditate on that word. I mean, you need to digest it down in your spirit, man. You need to just extract every bit of spiritual nutrient out of it that God has for you, and then do it again, and keep your mind fixed on the word of God. He said, this is how you're going to stay calm. This is how the God of peace is going to be with you when all the, the news feeds are overwhelming you, when all the criticism and the, and the, the hatred and, and the vitriol that people are spewing on social media. How do you not lose your mind? You stay calm by meditating on the word of God. Yes, and the God of peace will be with you. And we're gonna pray for God's peace to invade our hearts and lives today just like it did that first Christmas. But before we pray, I, I wanna read another verse to you out of that text in Matthew chapter 10. It's actually the two verses right before Jesus said, don't suppose that I came to bring peace. I actually came to bring a sword to the earth. Right before that, Jesus says these words, Matthew 10, verse 32, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Jesus is trying to communicate to them, look, guys, I've called you. You have a purpose. 
to take this gospel to the earth, but you need to know it's not gonna be easy. You're gonna be persecuted. There's gonna be division. He's about to tell them, look, you know, sons are gonna turn against fathers, daughters against mothers. It's gonna be tense. It's gonna be like a sword. But here's what you need to know. If you're unashamed of me, you'll have my peace. And even in the midst of all of it, you'll keep my peace. And so Jesus gives them this command. He says, look, if you won't be ashamed of me in front of others, I won't be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven. So I just want to ask a question to every person in this room, every one of you. If you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, or maybe you haven't, but you're saying, you know what, today's the day I'm going to do it now. If you would say today, I am unashamed to identify as a follower of Jesus Christ, I am unashamed to be called one of his. I don't want to be disowned by Jesus before the Father in heaven. And so, so I'm not going to disown him before other people. I want to ask you if you would do something. If you love Jesus today and you're unashamed, would you just lift both hands toward heaven? Just as an outward expression to say, I put my faith in Jesus. As an outward expression to say, look, everyone can see. My hands are up. Everyone can see that he alone is my Savior. For unto me was born in the city of David a Savior. He is Christ, my Lord. God, today, I pray right now for every, everyone whose hands are lifted high. God, we're expressing faith right now. God, let your favor fall on us. Let your peace be ours today. God, for those that are, are struggling with difficult relationships, those that are anxious and full of worry or fear or anxiety about things that are outside of their control. God, let your peace that transcends our understanding invade and guard our hearts and our minds today in Christ Jesus. Thank you today that your peace is coming upon those on whom your favor rests. God, thank you that you've called us favored as your sons and daughters. Lord, we receive your peace right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.